what is up and welcome into the halftime adjustments podcast my name is charlie gross i am your host and we are part of the built in buffalo network you can find me on twitter at charlie underscore gross underscore you can find built in buffalo at built in buffalo underscore exciting news for everybody out there i will be doing or having i suppose is the correct way to say it a brand new intro for the podcast when the regular season starts uh, with a little help from the people at Built in Buffalo. This podcast will be getting a new intro. Very excited. New music. All kinds of fun stuff at the beginning. Uh, maybe something at the end. We'll see. I've got, I think, I guess two segments today for everybody. I guess the the first one is a bit of a look at the past few days in training camp and any reports, anything we can glean from any press press conferences or reports and the second segment is going to be about people caring about things that really aren't that important so i guess the first place i want to start is with i believe leslie frazier had a press conference two days ago and he was asked about arthur smith and he had a lot of good things to say about arthur smith and i believe the exact quote was he made it sound like He's a good linebacker who happens to play special teams instead of a special teamer who happens to play linebacker. So I thought that was very telling. He talked about how he's a a good linebacker and he's available on special teams. And that was interesting to me how that was framed because with Daryl Johnson, it was framed a little bit more like Daryl Johnson's a great special teamer and we're still working out how he can get better at contributing at defensive end, which may lend credence to some of you thinking that Arthur Smith is much more likely to make the roster than Daryl Johnson. I am on record as saying that I think both those guys are roster locks. I don't think there's any way either one of those guys get cut. But it was the framing that stood out to me, and I think it was interesting that Leslie Frazier chose his words in that way about those two players. Looking over the training camp reports from yesterday, in an article from Sal Capaccio in which he illustrated the fact that Josh Allen is continuing his stellar training camp. He also mentioned that one receiver who was a bit under the radar uh, is Lance Lenoir, I believe is how you would say his name. Um, You know, the Bills wide receiver room is pretty crowded, so I don't know if there's, you know, what he'd have to do to make the roster but it was notable that Sale said that he was having a good training camp. And once again, more about one of these five guys that I consider to be a lock. This time, it is about Taiwan Jones. And Christian Wade and Antonio Williams are both hurt. And I'm gonna. this is a direct quote from Sale's article right now. Taiwan Jones has gotten a few more opportunities to run the ball and looks good doing it. I don't think he's a bad backup in a pinch. On top of his special teams ability, he's a good and valuable player to have on the roster. Now, obviously, Sal Capaccio does not coach the team, but he obviously you know, is very involved in the team in a variety of ways with his sideline reporting. He's a beat reporter. He does a, a radio show on Saturdays. He's very in tune, very professional. Uh, lots and lots of people trust him. He's got over 100,000 followers on Twitter for a reason. So I think it's fair to say that given this opinion by Sal, 
obviously the coaches have noticed the same thing. And once again, I believe that Taiwan Jones, due to his special teams ability, plus this other information, is in fact a roster lock. Before we go any farther, I would like to say, uh, not that he's ever going to listen to this podcast, but I'm glad to see that Deion Dawkins is out of the hospital after his battle with COVID. Um, He spoke very candidly yesterday in his press conference about COVID. And, uh, you know, this this may not be an exact quote from him, but something to the effect of there was a time where he was in the hospital where he really thought that this was the end for him, that he wasn't going to make it. Uh, It was very scary, obviously, in that context. So I'm glad to see that he's recovering and that things are going well for him. And the reason I mentioned Dion is not just for that reason, which is just basic human decency, but the fact that Matt Perino in an article of his said that, you know, they're giving Dawkins plenty of work. Obviously, he's a starting left tackle. He's been out for like two weeks. He needs to sort of catch up, uh, I would say. And according to Matt Perino, this is a direct quote from Matt Perino, there were at least four occasions where Dawkins noticeably won his one-on-one battle. Um, Ed Oliver, according to Matt, again, looked good, made Ryan Bates look silly. Uh, For those of you in keeping track of the very, very exciting tight end drop pass battle, Jacob Hollister dropped a pass. I'm sure it will get the same attention as when Dawson Knox drops a pass. Uh, A.J. Epinesa continuing to look good. Matt also says there was a Rashad Wild Goose sighting. And once again, Lance Lenoir, he said, seems to be a priority for the practice squad. So once again, more confirmation on the good camp that Lance Lenoir seems to be having uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Speaking of training camp, there was another sighting of a former NFL linebacker at Bills training camp the other day. Last week, I believe it was Lorenzo Alexander. This week, it was Luke Keekley, the, if I'm correct, the seven-time All-Pro middle linebacker under Sean McDermott when Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator in Carolina. Keekley retired last year at the age of 30, took a scouting position in the Carolina Panthers organization, and then quit the job a few a few months later. Uh, no one's really sure what he wants to do, if he wants to be a coach, uh, a guy in the front office, or if he just wants to hang out at training camps on occasion and, and live his life. Either way, Obviously, a very close relationship with Sean McDermott and, uh, you know, a great guy to have teaching some of the Bills linebackers some of the uh, the nuances of the position, I would imagine, considering, as I said, he is a seven-time pro bowler and certainly a Hall of Fame talent. Now, would he have played long enough, given that he retired at age 30, to get into the Hall of Fame? Those are questions for another day, but yes, he is, in fact, a Hall of Fame caliber talent. Interesting tweet from Marcel Louis-Jacques, a Bills beat reporter for ESPN.com. Not exactly training camp related, but draft related, and it relates to Cody Ford. Uh, He says, back in 2019, the Bills were nervous that the Panthers would take Cody Ford at number 37 overall. One spot before the Bills picked at 38, Carolina ended up taking Greg Little, an offensive lineman, And obviously the Bills then drafted Cody Ford. Greg Little has been traded to the Miami Dolphins for a seventh-round pick. 
Also, apparently, Daryl Johnson, my mistake, if you're listening, he also informed Sal Capaccio that he prefers being called by his nickname, which is Bam. So from from now on, uh, we will refer to him as Bam Johnson instead of Daryl Johnson. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't want to talk about COVID and this, that, the other. But a lot of the coverage from yesterday was about Deion Dawkins. You know, he's the only Bills player to get covid who was really outspoken about his experience. So that's what we have to talk about for the most part. Um, I think he was pretty honest, probably more honest than other people would have been. He recalled thinking, you know, like I'm an athlete, you know, like you think that my body would be able to to handle this better than it did. Uh, he, He said that his, because of him getting COVID, that it convinced his whole family to get vaccinated. I don't know, you know, how far that goes if he's talking about aunts and uncles and his parents or, or just I, I know that he has a premature um child at home that that was born in February, so I don't know if that just means uh, you know, his significant other I'm not sure what that means, but obviously it was an impact and when somebody talks about that so clearly and honestly, it's gonna dominate the you know, the news coverage. And I think as bad as it is for somebody like him, anyone to get COVID. I think it's nice having somebody like him get it, who's willing to talk about what happened to them. You know, we can say whatever we want to these players. And I think even like the coaches, the general managers, the owners, uh, whoever pick, but, but there's, I think there's a brotherhood amongst the people in the locker room that Somebody in the locker room is going to trust what Deion Dawkins says about his experience more than what I could say about my experience if I had gotten COVID, which to my knowledge, I don't. Maybe I did and I never got symptoms. I don't know. In a way, it's good because he has a firsthand experience. He was also, he had also gotten his second shot while he, it wasn't two weeks after his second shot, he had gotten his second shot, so he has that perspective as well. Like I said, I don't want anything to happen to anybody, obviously, and I'm glad he's okay, but I think it it will break down those some of those barriers, maybe, amongst you know his teammates or whatever about any hesitancy or if they have any, any questions, if, if they're even open <laughs> to asking or answering questions at this point. So, a lot of the coverage yesterday was obviously about that because it's just something that doesn't happen a lot. Like most guys aren't willing to talk about that. Um, and then the reports basically are just that the offense looks great, the defense looks great in splashes. Um, I know Gregory Rousseau beat Daryl Williams I think two times the other day in one-on-one drills. So he certainly continues his um, ascension, at least in training camp. I don't know what kind of stock we want to put in a training camp ascension for a rookie player, but Daryl Johnson's been in the league for like eight years, at, and he was like really good last year <laughs> playing right tackle, and Greg Rousseau beat him in some one-on-one drills and things like that, uh, which tend to favor the, the defense in, in a one-on-one drill like that. But still, you know, Daryl Johnson's an eight-year vet, so you don't want to give him too much credit, but you don't want to diminish it too much as well. You, you do want to you know, congratulate him for, for those wins and the progress that he's making. So now I guess we'll get into the segment where we're going to talk about things that I don't really know why they matter. But you know, every day it seems like something happens amongst the fan base 
that people get really upset about that kind of doesn't matter. So the first thing is that the NFL has made an emphasis, at least in the preseason, that they're going to be calling a lot of taunting penalties. And I got into a conversation this afternoon with a couple people on Twitter, uh, one of them being Clay Troya. Uh, I believe he works for Fanatics. He does some draft work for them. And... You know, I, I basically I put out a tweet that just said I don't understand what the big deal is because the past 24 hours or so everybody's kind of been up in arms about this penalty call and if you haven't seen it basically backup running back for the Colts basically runs through the entire Titans defense is carrying basically all of them on his back it's like a 15 yard gain he's obviously very excited as he should be because it was a really good run and a really good play and he gets up off the ground there's a Titans guy like like still on the ground and he kind of stands there l- looks down at the guy and is talking some smack right like he's like hey I'm the greatest woo you know you know whatever whatever or whatever he said and the NFL the, the official threw a flag and everyone's up in arms about that because that's usually not not a penalty okay well it is now. If he had turned the other way, like towards where he was trying to score the touchdown, there wasn't anybody there, and he could have, you know, talked about how great he felt about it at that time, and it would have been a penalty. So I guess there's there's two camps on this. There's the people who I think are mad that they're putting an emphasis on calling taunting when in the past they didn't. And then apparently there's a camp of people who just don't think that taunting should be a penalty, period. I don't care. Like, I don't care if it's a penalty or if it's not. Like, if they took out the taunting rules, I wouldn't care. It doesn't matter to me at all. I've never sat down here in, at this computer desk or or on my lunch break somewhere and really contemplated what I, how I feel about taunting in the NFL. It's a rule. And if you look at the rule, they give the officials a lot of leeway and ambiguity. They basically say, if you think that that's taunting, call the penalty. If you don't, don't. That's what the rule says, more or less. So obviously, they told the officials, look, we want you to call these taunting penalties more. So now they're calling them more. And if you don't want the rule on the books, that's a completely different discussion than I'm mad that they're calling more taunting penalties. Like I said, I really don't know. I'm assuming the the reason the rule is even in there is because like kids watch the NFL and they don't want like an 8-year-old watching a guy in the NFL be like, "Yeah, I'm the best. You can go f yourselves." And then, you know, somebody's 8-year-old kid is in little league football and he like runs for 3 yards and then falls down and gets up and starts yelling at the other 8-year-olds, "Yeah, I'm the best. Go f yourself." Like that's probably why it's in there. And maybe you're of the opinion that the, his, that kid's parents should just be able to legislate every single thing that comes out of that kid's mind and, and with their parenting. So I'm assuming that's probably why it's in there. I, I mean, I don't know why, like, why we're upset. Like, I don't know why we're upset if they're calling more penalties because, like, it's a rule. And, and if you're upset that it's a rule, I don't know what to tell you. Like, maybe you can write a letter to Roger Goodell or you can write a letter to your state senator or, you know, maybe Donald Trump can help you. I don't really know. I, I don't know what to tell you. So that's one thing that I don't really know, like, why we're getting all mad about. The other thing is, is that the NFL releases this list. It's the NFL 100, and it's voted on by the players. And basically what happens is, is that I, I don't even know how many players, like, they 
ask to vote on this. I have no idea if it's all the players, if it's 10 per team. Who knows? But basically what the players do is they rank their 20... The, the players in the league they think are the best, their top 20. And the first guy on their list gets 20 points. The second guy gets 19. The third guy, and you know, I don't have to explain this all to you. And it goes down the list. And of course, everyone is upset because Trey White came in at number 95. Is Trey White the 95th best player in the NFL? No. He's like top 50, top 40, somewhere in there. You know, maybe, you know, some people probably think he's top 20. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I haven't sat down with a list and really figured it out. Was it a snub? I don't know. I mean, the the guys who play against him voted for the list. And maybe the guys who play with him voted for the list. And I'm assuming, like, Deion Dawkins, let's say, probably put Trey White <laughs> at the top of his list. But a bunch of other guys didn't. Now, did the Buffalo Bills play against every other player in the NFL last year? No. But they played 13 teams with 53 guys on it. I mean, what's that, like 700 players? And people obviously know who Trey White is. So in 2019, Trey White had like this great year where he had like eight interceptions. And then last year, he struggled a little bit. You know, in 2019, he was, I think, like, what, top 25 in the list? And this year, he's 95? Okay. So doesn't that mean that the players who play in the league saw that he struggled a little bit and they put him lower on the list? That's what it says to me. So first of all, why does it matter? Like, I don't understand why this stuff even matters. Like, why do these lists matter? Like, you're you're getting, I don't know, the next time you, you go to a game and, and, you know, I don't know, you see, like, Tom Brady, go ask him where he put Trey White on his list. Like, who... Why are we getting mad about it? I just don't understand. They've only released, as far as I can tell, the top, well, up till number 40. So so the top 40 we don't know yet. I'm recording this at 7.45 on Tuesday. So I don't know if it's a conspiracy. Like somebody pointed out to me that, that maybe every single guy and every single team just, just put 20 of their teammates. I mean, I don't know what that would do to the voting, right? Like the Buffalo Bills just put... put the top 20 guys, they didn't throw like Mahomes or Aaron Donald on their list somewhere. If that was the case, then, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess like every quarterback for every team would, would be in the top like 32, right? Because that's probably how they'd vote. Or if there's some conspiracy, like like you'd get like seven of the, the Rams guys in the top 10 or something, right? Like, I don't know. Like the players voted for a list. Did they take it seriously? I don't know. If you really want to do a top 100 in the NFL... I have some ideas about it, but every time I like put a content idea out, like somebody tries to take it. So I'll just put it out myself at some point. But I think just getting players or fans or coaches or some combination of that or former players or former GMs to vote on a list, it's going to be subjective. Everything is subjective because human beings have opinions. But it's obvious if you look at the Pro Bowl voting that letting fans, coaches, and players vote on something is kind of a stupid idea because the results never come out really that great. The best way is probably to to devise some analytical formula and just have and and just do a top 100 that way. So Josh Allen's probably in the top 10, I would think. Maybe he's not. Is is it fair that Trey White is number 95? Of course not. He's not the 95th best player. He's probably the 47th best player or the 32nd best player or whatever. What I, I don't know, like, the season needs to get here so we can start talking about things that actually matter. So 
I know there's a I know these issues matter to a lot of people and at this point if you're still listening you're probably mad that I don't feel the same way that you do about this but it it just seems kind of nonsense and your next question is will probably why are you covering it on your podcast if you think it's nonsense well because my podcast is supposed to talk about things that lots of other people are talking about and since lots of other people are talking about this that's why I'm talking about it so I get that it's fun. I get that that you want your your guys to to be where you think they should be. The players disagree with you, and I know Jalen Ramsey thinks that Trey White's top three. Well, Jalen Ramsey only has one vote, so I'm glad that Jalen Ramsey thinks that Trey White is top three. But where do you think he put him? Do you think he put him above or below Aaron Donald? Do you think he put him above or below Pat Mahomes? Do you think he put him above or below George Kittle? I I wish that the Bills were the top twenty spots on the list. There's talented players all over the league. Does it stink that Trey White got snubbed on this player-voted list? Yeah. Do I think there was a conspiracy? No. I think the players looked at his season in 2019, looked at his season in 2020, and said, hey, man, that guy didn't play as good in 2020 as he did in 2019. And do I think they should do that? No. I think they should realize that Trey White's traits, his abilities, didn't go down in 2019 or 2020 that maybe there was another circumstance maybe he was injured maybe he was just having a bad day maybe he stubbed his toe that day and he couldn't run well it doesn't mean that his abilities his innate dna changed so no i don't think that he should have been lower on the list but the players did what fans do and they just kind of were like oh he didn't have as good of a year and they put him lower on the list thank you for listening I appreciate you guys taking a chance on the podcast. If you are listening on Apple, if if Apple's feed will ever start to work properly because of their software update, I encourage you to leave a, a rating, a review, tell a friend, uh, tell an enemy. If you don't like somebody and you don't like this podcast, tell tell that person because maybe they'll listen and maybe they'll like it. And I'm not picky about who listens. Also, check out the YouTube channel, The Red Zone Report, Friday night with me. My co-host, Izzy, uh, lots of great other stuff on there. We have a merch shop, so check out the Built in Buffalo merch shop. Check out the other great podcasts that we have on the network. I still don't know if there's an official Buffalo Bills catchphrase for this season. So for right now, I'm going to leave you with my outro, and I will add that in later. If it if it ever materializes, if Sean McDermott ever answers my most important question which is which is coach what's your catchphrase but until then bills mafia find a way to embrace your growth mindset and as always trust the process 